0: You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We are looking at Jesus's prayer in John chapter 17. In fact, Jesus's prayer is the only thing in John 17 all 26 verses is jesus's prayer it's the longest prayer recorded in scripture this is now of jesus that is this is now the third look at this prayer so let me remind you why we are focusing on prayer i'm going to give you two important reasons and then the big reason number one if jesus needed to pray we all need to pray number two We all need to pray, but we don't all know what that looks like. So we are learning how to pray. And then the third, the ultimate reason for focusing on prayer is prayer is how we build our relationship with God and with others. So if you want to have a great marriage, it starts with prayer. When you pray with and for your spouse, it can't help but bring you closer together. But even more, when you pray with and for your spouse, you are inviting God into your marriage. So if you want to have a great marriage, it starts with prayer. Same with wanting to have a great family, or a great job, or a great school year. It begins with prayer. The other summary point I want to make is this. There are only two ways to live. Culture up or kingdom down? By culture up, I'm talking about the ways of the world that Satan has corrupted. The ways of the world that are opposed to God, that are opposed to the kingdom of God. And so this begs the question, in the way that you live your life, are you trying to pull hell up into your life or bring heaven, the kingdom of God, down into your life? Just so you know, Jesus in his prayer prays against the world. Now, he obviously knows we are in the world, but he prays that the world won't define us, that it won't have its hold on us, which is true, by the way, if you are in Christ Jesus, for he's the one who has the ultimate hold on your life. And that finally led us to talk about one of Jesus' disciples who wasn't in Christ Jesus. His name is Judas Iscariot. And John writes to tell us that Satan actually indwelt Judas Iscariot. And in his prayer, Jesus said this part to the Father. This is how we ended last week. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, that's Judas, so that Scripture would be fulfilled. And we really want to begin today with that last phrase, that everything predicted, foretold, prophesied by God in Scripture is being fulfilled. That's how God works. He promises, and then He fulfills How many of you have people that have broken promises to you? They haven't fulfilled them. Well, we all have, right? God always fulfills all of his promises. We call that prophecy. When the Bible was written, about 25% of it at the time was prophetic in nature. It was God saying, here's what's going to happen. Because the God who knows the future rules the future, reveals the future, so we can trust the word that he gives. And the centerpiece of history, the centerpiece of prophecy is Jesus Christ. So now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to share several verses with you, passages of scripture where God promised certain things to come, and how Jesus fulfilled all of those. Now, we can't look at all of the promises that God declared that were fulfilled in Jesus. Why? Because there were over 300 of them. But we'll look at a few. Here's 1,000 years before Jesus, Psalm 41, 9. Even my close friend, someone I trusted who has shared my bread has turned against me. Who is that? Judas Iscariot. 500 years before Jesus walked on the earth. Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, which is a reference to the temple, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. Was that fulfilled? Yes. In fact, it was being fulfilled at the very moment that Jesus is praying this prayer in John 17. Judas has already gone out to betray Jesus for how many pieces of silver? (laughs) 30. Not 31, not 29, because God always fulfills his promise. And then, before he hangs himself and he takes his life, Judas took that 30 pieces of silver and he goes to the temple and he throws it in. He fulfills everything that was promised and prophesied. Now, God didn't make Judas sin, but God knew that Judas would sin. And God used Judas's sin for his glory over history. You see, God is so powerful, so in authority that he can use even what was intended for evil for good. That's encouraging. If there is something at, at work in your life that's evil, God can still use that for good. All right, again, a thousand years before Jesus, Psalm twenty-two eighteen, 18. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots For my garments. They go to crucify Jesus. They strip him almost naked. And the soldiers literally roll the dice. To see who's going to get Jesus' clothing. That is fulfilled in the gospels. Psalm 22.16. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. That's a metaphor for evildoers. And they pierce my hands. And my feet. Where was Jesus pierced? <laughs> Hands and feet. By the way, you need to know. Crucifixion was invented by the Persians, and that didn't happen for a few hundred years after the Psalms were written. 700 years before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 verse 12 says, "He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors." Jesus fulfilled that when he died between two criminals. They were guilty. He was not. Psalm 34:20. He protects all his bones, not one of them will be broken. Crucifixion is a painfully slow death by asphyxiation. What happens is your body slouches on the cross and and it's hard to get a breath. To hasten death, what the soldiers would do would go around to the criminals hanging on the cross and they would break their legs so that they could not use that nail that's pierced through them to get up and get a breath. But the Bible records that Jesus died quickly enough that none of his bones were broken because the scriptures are true. Psalm 22:1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries this out from the cross as he's dying in your place for your sin as your Savior because he loves you and he wants you to be forgiven and give you new life. Jesus quotes the Bible because Jesus fulfills the Bible. Again, Isaiah 53, 700 years before Jesus walked the earth, for he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people, he was punished. Jesus would die, not for his sins because he had none, but for your sin, my sin. The very next verse, Isaiah 53, 9, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Was Jesus poor or rich? He was poor. And when he died, he didn't own a grave. They had no place to bury his body. So, there was a quiet disciple, a secret disciple of Jesus named Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man who basically donated his new tomb for Jesus. The good news for Joseph, he got it back, barely used. Jesus only needed it for the weekend. All right, two more. Both of these are from the Psalms. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay, or another translation will say your holy one. Well, Jesus is that faithful one, that holy one of God. He went to the grave, but he didn't remain there. And his body did not deteriorate because he was raised in newness of life, conquering Satan, sin, death, and hell. Jesus Christ walked on the earth afterwards fully healed. Jesus beats death. Friends, you need to know that. No one else beats death. Just Jesus. And what is he doing today? Psalm 110 verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Right now, Jesus is high and exalted. Jesus is over every king and kingdom. Jesus is over every culture and nation. And there is a day coming where he will return and judge the living and the dead. And Jesus is ruling over all of his enemies. All this to say that the Bible is the book that God wrote. Yes, through human authors, but under the incredible inspiration of God, the Holy Spirit. Who can predict the future? Who knows the future? Who could detail it in such away. No other religion has this kind of prophecy in their quote-unquote sacred writings because only the God of the Bible knows the future. Only the God of the Bible reveals the future. Here's what I want to encourage you with. All of these prophecies and promises that came true in Jesus's first coming Give us great confidence that the rest of the promises and prophecies in Scripture related to Jesus' second coming will come true, where the nations will get judged and all believers will reap eternal blessings. You see, the God who has already fulfilled all of those promises and prophecies in Jesus, rest assured, he will fulfill the rest of them. And here's what you need to know. The Bible is the only perfect thing on the earth. The Bible is the word of God. It is the revelation from God. It is not speculation about God. And if you would read this book, God would meet with you. And he would begin to change your life. Now on to more of Jesus' prayer, John 17, verses 13 to 19. Jesus still praying to the Father, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. Okay, five things that make life worth living. Number one, God has joy for you. Jesus is praying that my joy will be in you. So if your joy, if you're looking for joy in this world, you will not find it. If your joy is tethered to your circumstances, your circumstances will come and go. But if your joy is contingent upon the unchanging, unbreakable, loving, eternal relationship that you can have with God, and the Holy Spirit is in you, you will receive joy. True joy comes from God. It is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And it's not tied to your circumstances. It's tied to your relationship with God. Now, don't get me wrong. The Lord gives us many blessings to enjoy while we're walking this life, but the point is this world is not our home. So no matter what comes your way, it's an opportunity to learn about Jesus, it's an opportunity to lean into Jesus, and it's an opportunity to become more like Jesus. Number two, God has truth for you. Jesus says, Your word is truth. Isn't it really nice to know that there is somewhere that there is truth? It's getting harder to tell. The lines are getting more and more blurred as to what's right or wrong, what's true or false, what's fact or fiction. The Bible is true. And it's really nice to know that the world that is filled with speculation and conjecture and spin, there is actually something you can depend upon. The Bible is truth and it will be true tomorrow. Cultures will come and go, nations will come and go, philosophies will come and go, but the word of God remains forever. The third thing that makes life worth living, you have a purpose. God has a mission for you. Jesus says, Father, as you have sent me, I am sending them. About 40 times in the gospel of John is the word send. It's the language of a missionary. We often think of a missionary as one who is sent to other places around the world, which is true, But a missionary is not just sent across the world. They are also sent across the street, across the cubicle, across the lunchroom. Jesus said, I am sending you as a missionary out into the world because there are people out there that I love who don't know me yet. Someone did this for you, right? Someone prayed for you. Someone talked to you. Someone brought you to church. Someone bought you a Bible. Someone taught you about Jesus. In Jesus' prayer, verse 15, he says, My prayer is that you not take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. We are not to be separated from the world, but also not corrupted by the world. So all of the people are in the world. We want to be in a relationship with them, but we don't want our morals, our values, our character, our convictions to be defined by the world. We want them to be defined by the word. So for the church, let me give you an analogy. A boat goes through the water, but the goal of the boat is not to take on water. Water. What happens if the boat starts to take on water? It begins to sink. The church is like that. We are passing through this dark world and the church of Jesus Christ is like a ship and we're grabbing people and trying to pull them on and say, hey, come with us, come with us, come with us. There is safe harbor ahead. People of Jesus, we are supposed to stay in the world not retreat from it because this is where the rescue mission is but we're not to allow the world or the water of the world to use that analogy into the ship that means we do money differently we do power differently we do relationships differently we Do family and sex and gender differently because we don't want to take on the water. We want to pass through the water and take the people who are drowning and invite them into the ship. The fourth thing that makes life worth living He gives us our identity. Verse 19 of that prayer. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Sanctified means holy, set apart. Something for special use. Every couple about to be married experiences this. You know when? At the bridal registry. There are everyday dishes and there is fine china. There is everyday cutlery and there is special cutlery. Single guys, you are in for an education. You think all you need is a (laughs) sport. Don't bring that out at holidays and special occasions. Then you find out there are special towels. Some of them are only decorative. (laughs) Something that's special, something that's set apart. When Jesus looks at his people... What he says is, you are special. You are special. You are special. You are holy. You are consecrated. You are set apart. Look, they're about to arrest Jesus, and they're going to say all kinds of things about him, that he is demon-possessed, that he is a liar, that he is a blasphemer, but he knows who he is. You, if you are a child of God, know that you are special and holy and clean and forgiven. It doesn't matter what they say. It matters what he says. And number five, 2,000 years ago, Jesus was on this earth and he prayed for you. And Jesus didn't just pray for you 2,000 years ago. Jesus is praying for you now. Right now, Jesus is in the presence of God the Father, and they're having a conversation about you. Did you know that? Let me read you a verse. It's Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is able, this is Jesus, to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus lives to intercede for you. When Jesus was on this earth, he faced what you faced. He was tempted by what you are tempted by. And he battled and defeated what you are battling. He understands. And right now, the Holy Spirit within you, when you pray, there is an immediate connection that the Holy Spirit takes to Jesus, your intercessor before the Father. The whole Trinity is involved. I'll read you one last verse, Romans eight thirty four. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ, Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus right now has you on his heart. Jesus right now has you on his mind. Nothing you're going through is apart from his awareness or understanding. Nothing. Jesus is alive right now and he didn't just pray for you 2,000 years ago. He is praying for you right now. That's amazing. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for us. But how we're going to begin is you're going to pray. Just make your requests to God. He already knows them. You just need to voice them. Pray for yourself, pray for others. So, in the quiet of your heart, let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for us, interceding on our behalf for those that need a burden lifted. Will you lift it? For those who need their sin forgiven, that you would forgive it now. For those that need the provision of your presence, that they receive that now. And then for the opportunity to be on mission for you. We want to pray for the people you want us to speak to and to give us the courage And Lord, if you have spoken to our hearts right here, right now, to where maybe we've never before surrendered to you. Or maybe it's been a long time. You know, we grew up in church and here we are finding ourselves years later. Lord, you can and you will reach out to any heart as your Holy Spirit is leading us to turn to you. Whether that's somebody in this room, it's somebody listening online, watching online, it's you coming at them. And you will pursue them and not give up on them. And they need their lives changed. They need freedom. They need to be restored. They need healing physically, spiritually, emotionally. And we know, Lord, that if they simply open their heart and say, Lord, Lord Jesus, come into my life, that that's a prayer that you will answer. And it starts them on a new road, changing their life from the inside out, altering their eternity. And we ask all of this in the name of the one who taught us to pray, saying, We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.